My brother-in-law played uh, college baseball. He was, played for the Kent State Golden Flashes on the team that went to the College World Series. And a couple years after that, or maybe the next year after that, I can't really remember, they were coming down and playing a series against Memphis. And my wife, Brooklyn, and I lived in Mississippi at the time. And Memphis is a city in Tennessee, but it's right along the border of Mississippi and Arkansas, right in Tennessee. And we decided we would go up and watch her brother play. And her parents were coming down to visit us and to visit our oldest, Ethan, the first grandchild of the family. They were hanging out with us. And then we were going to go watch the baseball games. And this was right around the time that smartphones were really taking off. So I had an Apple iPhone phone at the time, but her parents still had one of those old GPS systems that you would get and mount to your windshield, and it would give you a turn-by-turn directions and reroute every 10 seconds if, if it couldn't get a good connection with the satellites. And we were going to a restaurant before we went to the game, and there are some places in Memphis that are a little sketchy. You probably don't want to wind up in the wrong part of if you don't know where you're going. And so I told them, just follow me. We'll have the phone, we'll have the directions that way. Just follow us. And there were sections of the interstate at this point in time where they were doing road construction, and there were some delays, and the speed limit was 45 miles an hour through some stretches of the road in Mississippi. And I was going around 55, just wanting to keep the flow of traffic, not trying to break any laws, just being a responsible citizen of not being a danger, being too slow on the interstate. And cars are just flying around me. They're just flying around me. And and so I decided, well, I should stick up with the flow of traffic. And so I started going 70, 75, might have hit 80 uh, miles an hour on the interstate. And as we're going along, finally at a good clip, Our phone starts ringing, and it's her mom, frantic, like, where are you guys? And that's when it dawned on me. I forgot that I told them to follow us to the restaurant. And I look in the rearview mirror, and they are nowhere to be seen. So I say, all right, I'll merge over to the right-hand lane, and I'll go really slow so you'll be able to catch up with us. So I get all the way over in the right-hand lane and start going about 35 miles an hour. Now, remember, the speed limit's 45, but people are doing 80 on this clip, just flying around us. And so as I'm going 35 miles an hour, people are greeting me in the name of, well, I'll leave that to your imagination, sending me all kinds of gestures, blowing me kisses, and it was just really a a feel-good experience. And we're going along this way for a couple minutes, felt like forever, and they are still nowhere to be found. And finally, after a couple more minutes, they finally can be seen in the rearview mirror, and they catch up to us. I'm like, all right, I will go a little bit slower than the flow of traffic, but we don't have to go this slow any longer. So I take it up to a responsible 50, maybe 55 miles an hour. Again, cars are just flying past us, and I'm looking behind us, and her dad is just putzing along. And as we're driving along, two cars swoop in between us after, after like maybe a quarter mile. And that's when it dawned on me that following is just as important as leading. Following is just as important as leading. In our culture, in our society, we put all of our emphasis on leadership. 
There are podcasts. There are entire libraries. There are courses that take people through how to lead effectively. And all of our emphasis and all of our focus is on leadership. And make no mistake about it. Leadership is vital. Leadership is important. But we've missed part of the equation. And that is this, that following is just as important as leading. And over the course of the next few weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to look at some of the people who followed after Jesus, and we're going to see what that tells us about the heart of God and what that tells us about us. So thank you so much for joining us. We are so glad that you are here or joining us online. Thanks for making this part of your day. If you have your phones or your tablets, I'd invite you to follow along with us in the Bible app. It's a free resource in the app store of your choosing. Just type in Bible. It'll probably be the first one that pops up. Go ahead and download. Again, it's called the Bible app. Go ahead and download it. And once it's downloaded on your device, you can enable, you can utilize the events feature. And once you've done that, you can either enable your locations on your device or type in zip code 54201. There, Lakeside Community Church will pop up. You can follow along with us that way. If you have a traditional Bible with you today, we're going to be in the New Testament book of Mark. We're going to start in Mark chapter 1, verse 16. If you're streaming, the verse will be available on the screen below. I also want to make this uh, available to you as well. Every Saturday, we publish where we're going to be the next day in our services on our social media platforms. So if you want a head start, you can find that by going to our social media platforms on Saturday. And let me just say, if you haven't already followed us on Facebook or Instagram, on Twitter, if you're a Twitter, uh, most people aren't reporters, so Twitter's kind of dead if you're not a reporter. But if you want to do that, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Lakeside Community Church. And while you're there, you might as well give us a review. Go ahead and slide all the way to five stars. Anything less than that, still follow our page, but we don't want your review. We still love you, though. And uh, Instagram and Twitter can be found at Lakeside Algoma. That's our handle there. But but some people have asked for the, the verses even in advance of that, and we're happy to do that. So, so um, what I'm going to be doing is I'm going to be sending out an email every Monday that lets you know where we'll be on the coming up Sunday. So if that's something that would be beneficial for you, if you want to look over the scripture in advance, if you want to get a head start, be happy to do that. Just send me an email. It's brian with an I at lakeside-church.com. Again, that's brian with an I at lakeside-church.com. And just say, hey, send me the scripture, and, and I'd be happy to include you on that on Mondays as well. Uh, we're going to be today starting something, like I said, called Followers. And here's what we're going to be doing. We're going to investigate the stories and the personalities of the people who followed after God. What we're going to see is how different they all are. What we're going to see is that Jesus appealed to people who were rich and people who were poor. That Jesus called men, women, and children to follow him. And what we recognize and what we realize from all of this is the heartbeat of God is that Jesus is for all people. He's for everyone. And the heartbeat of God is that every person would make the decision to follow him. Today we start in Mark chapter 1 with the calling of his first disciples. And again in verse 16 where we read these words. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he, Jesus, saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. 
This is the first, these are the first disciples that Jesus has called to join him in his mission. Now, we know Simon as Peter. Simon is Peter. Sometimes the New Testament will refer to him as Simon Peter. Oftentimes, as the Gospels go on, they transition to just call him Peter. But Simon here is the person that you're familiar of being Peter. Now, Peter and Andrew are fishermen. They're brothers, and they're out fishing. Now, the Sea of Galilee, if you've never been to Israel, and if you've never looked it up on satellite imagery or seen in a video of it, you might have the idea of a Sea of Galilee being something like the Lake, Lake, Lake Michigan, just a massive body of water. It is not. The Sea of Galilee is a, it's an impressive body of water, but it's much more a lake than it is a sea. So if you're anticipating something as large as Lake Michigan, it's not that at all. Put in mind a lake, and that's really the size of the Sea of Galilee. Now, as we know that sound really carries along the water, and when you're not dealing with a body of water as massive as Lake Michigan, you can understand this a little bit more in context, that out fishing are Peter and Andrew. They're out fishing, and Jesus passes by them. He sees them fishing, and then verse 17 tells us, and Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. What I love about this is God meets them where they are. God meets them where they are, and he does a play on words that they would understand. He does a play on words that they would understand. Here they are, they're, they're tradesmen, they're fishermen. This is how they make their living. And Jesus approaches them and he says, follow me and I will make you a fisher of men. That God met them in a way that they'd understand and promised in the process to give their life more significance and more meaning if they would follow him. Now these are the first recruits of Jesus. Let me say that again and let that set in. These are the first recruits of Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm Jesus, and we're all glad, me included, that I, that I am not, but if I'm Jesus, not sure why that got so many amens, but if I am Jesus, and I have come to establish an eternal kingdom, to deliver people from the greatest need that is prevalent in their lives that they might not even recognize and realize, but the need for salvation from sin, that they can be reconciled to me, the God that they rebelled against, and that this message will change the course of everything. I'm probably going to sit down when I think of the team that's going to help me take this message to the world and gather a few theologians some really effective PR strategists, some well-known athletes and entertainers, some politicians that I want to bring alongside the journey and help make my life a lot easier. This is the team that I want to establish the well-known, the well-connected, the powerful. What we see here is not that at all. What we see here is Jesus comes across two fishermen, 
Not that there's any, not that there's anything wrong with being a tradesperson whatsoever. But in terms of what Jesus is about to do and the scope of his ministry, these are not the first two recruits that you would think. In fact, they're more towards the bottom. Like, yeah, we're, we're glad that they're part of the team, but probably not the foundational members to the team. This past week, my kids got a new kickball, which I just laugh at because it's a different time now. When I grew up, yeah, we used it to play kickball, but primarily these kickballs were hurled at our faces in gym classes everywhere in the game of dodgeball. I don't even know if you're allowed to play dodgeball in school, and probably not. But when I grew up, we would play dodgeball. And if you got hit, yeah, the person who, in the face, yeah, the person who threw the ball would be out for like a minute until their team caught a ball and then they got to get out of jail or the game was over and then we started a new game. But if you got hit in the face, you got to walk around school the rest of the day with a checkerboard on your face from the imprint of the rubber ball hitting you there and all the different squares that were then firmly implanted on your face. And I remember one day in middle school, our gym teacher picked the most athletic kid in class and the least athletic person in class and then let the most athletic kid in class pick all of the dodgeball teams for both, for both sides. And so, of course, the most athletic person in class started picking all the athletic people to join his team. And it's one of those times you're just praying, please pick me, pick me. And he did. And I was like, this is fantastic. And then we're looking at the other team. And we're like, oh, yes, this is going to be awesome. <laughs> Losers. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to nail them. It's going to be fun. And then the gym teacher asked the captain of my team, are these teams fair? And he said, absolutely, they're fair. And the gym teacher said, great, I'll go join the other team. And the game started. And the gym teacher just started lighting up our team. Just, I mean, we didn't, I mean, he had the Larry Bird shorts on and a little bit of a dad bod, you know, and so we're thinking, what's he going to, but that dude could throw, and he's just like nailing us, and it didn't matter what we would do to try to get him out. We could not get him out. If we threw the ball at him, he'd dodge out of the way or he'd catch it. It didn't matter where we aimed. He was, he was just, just wiping out our team. And he started, you know, having some banter towards our team as the majority of it's in jail. And he's like, okay, I'll take a break for a couple minutes. And so he went over and he's talking to the people on our team who were in jail. And we were, were just unable to hit this guy all game long. It was just so frustrating to me that while he's got his, his back not really paying attention, while he's talking trash to our team, I take a ball from like a foot away and just drill him as hard as I could. And then I couldn't play dodgeball anymore that day, but it was worth it. And I have no regrets whatsoever. It was completely worth it. But as you look at the people that Jesus is choosing here and his first disciples, he's not going after the A team, which was who we would think of to pick for what he's calling them to do. He goes out to people that we would never select for the purposes that Jesus is selecting them for. And he says, hey, you guys, come follow me. The book of Acts would go on to describe some of the disciples in this way. 
And when people looked at them, they were astonished. And the reason they were astonished is because of this, because they were unschooled, ordinary people. They were unschooled, ordinary people. And here's the reality, that God accomplishes the amazing, God accomplishes the extraordinary through ordinary people. It's not that God needs the best of the best. It's not that God needs just the elite. God accomplishes the extraordinary through the ordinary. And what we see right off the bat as he's picking his disciples is this principle. And the key is in verse 18. And immediately, they left their nets and followed him. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. The reality is this, that God cares more about your willingness than he does your pedigree. God cares more about your willingness to follow him than he does your pedigree. And you might be dismissed by other people because they look at you and they shake their heads and they think, oh, what, really, you? <laughs> There's no way. Not you. You might be dismissed by, by all kinds. But other people may have disdain for you. You might even dismiss yourself. You might look and see what, what other people have done and what other people have accomplished and think, I could never do that. That's impossible for me. That's, that's outside of my capacity and able to do that. And you might shake your head. You might be dismissive of yourself and others might dismiss you. Others might have disdain for you. But the reality is this that God can do more through you than you can ever dare to even imagine. God can do more through you than you can even dare to imagine. The question is, what will your response be? What will your response be? Will you follow? You know what Jesus didn't provide? He didn't provide a detailed plan. He didn't tell them where they were headed. He didn't tell them when he was going to do all this. He didn't say, all right, we're going to hit this city and I'm going to do, I'm going to preach a couple messages there that are going to attract a bunch of people. Then I'm going to go to this city and just wait to see what I do with water. You're going to be really glad that you followed me. And then we're going to go to this city. And if you're sick, you don't need to worry about insurance because you've got me. So just wait and see what the miracles I perform here. And then we're going to go over. Jesus didn't provide a detailed plan. He didn't tell them where they were going. He didn't tell them when he was going to do what he was going to do. He didn't tell them how. And the question that every single one of us has to answer is when God calls us to follow, is our response yes? And do we drop the nets? Or are we still hanging on? that we know God has called us, but rather than follow him, we're still hanging on to the net because God, I love you, and God, I want to follow you, but you're going to have to tell me when, and you're going to have to tell me where, and I really need to know how, how we're going to do this. Peter was married. He had a family. He had a family that he needed to provide for, and God shows up, and he says, follow me, and he lets go of the net. He lets go of his job. And he follows after Jesus. Are you held back in your faith journey? Because you want all the details? Because you want it all to make sense? 
when God is just calling you, follow me. And do you have the faith to step out? Even if you don't have all the answers, even if you don't know the when and the how and the where, but you know the stirring that God has called you to, and you know the gift set that he's given you, and you know in your soul what he wants you to do, but you're just hanging on to that net because you just don't have all the answers. It might be time to just let go and just follow him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. Well, stop us if you've heard this story before. Just a few verses ago, we have a couple brothers. They're in a boat. They're fishermen. And immediately, Jesus called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. So now we have James and John. They're out fishing. Jesus walks past them, and he gives them the same message that he's told to Peter and Andrew just a couple verses before. And they give up even more. He said, what do you mean, Brian? They left the family business. See, Peter and Andrew, they were, they were tradesmen, and they were successful. They were successful. Peter was a homeowner. Luke 4 tells us that. That he made a good living. He provided for his family. But James and John, they're business owners. It's not just them out there. They have hired workers and their dad is out there. Which means that all their life, they have grown up seeing the success of their father, seeing their father be able to expand the operation, bring in more employees, generate more revenue, and to know that one day the keys to this kingdom are ours. Not because of anything that we've done, but because of our last name. And this is all going to be ours. We have been groomed for this from the time we were little. And now... This will be ours one day. This empire is going to be ours. And then Jesus shows up. And all of that grooming, all of that planning, all of that certainty that was in, in their minds that they had from day one is now gone. Sometimes we can sanitize people that we read about in Scripture. And one of the things that I love about Scripture is Scripture goes to great lengths to do just the opposite. Sometimes people are like, man, I really wish I was included in the Bible. No, you don't. No, you don't. You don't want people reading about your mistakes a couple thousand years later. Trust me, you don't. You go through great pains of trying to hide those mistakes. You don't want them aired for everybody to see. And Scripture does that. I remember growing up in Sunday school, we'd have this this flannel graph Jesus, where Jesus always had this sterling white robe, looked like it just freshly got out of the wash and was, was freshly bleached and starched. And then he always had this nice blue ribbon that was tied around him. And the disciples that would also be put on the flannel graph right next to this shining Jesus in the white robe would, would all look like they went and they stole Joseph's coat from back in Genesis along with his brothers because they're on all these radiant 
coats and they're just always like down on their knees with their hands folded like this, always waiting in anticipation. And then they're, sometimes you see the picture of Jesus like caressing a little lamb. And it, that can be our mindset of, of some of the people that, that follow Jesus. But I just want to remind you, so far what we've seen in the followers of Jesus is they're four fishermen. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, are elsewhere in Mark 3. They're called the sons of thunder. They got a little attitude to them. They got a little edge. These guys are fishermen. They've seen it. They've been there. A little, little rough around the edges. Luke 9 tells us that one time they were along with Jesus and they wanted to go into a village and do some ministry. And the village didn't want them. The village didn't want them there. And their response was to retreat and to pray for the village? No, that wasn't their response at all. Their response was to tell Jesus, hey, any chance we can smite this village? Maybe call down some fire from heaven? Listen, I'm just going to tell you, those are my people. Those are people that get me, and I get them, right? Some of you are like, oh, that's horrible. I just, it's horrible. Knit them a blanket and tell them you're praying for them. No, like, that's you. That's great. That's how God's wired you. I'm there. I'm with these guys. I'm like, fine, you don't want us? Watch this. Hey, Jesus, let's do the fire trick and watch them burn. Like, that's what these guys wanted to do. They wanted Jesus to call down fire and just completely engulf the city. He didn't. By Mark chapter 5, we see that these same guys who wanted Jesus to do that are his best friends. That Peter, James, and John, of all the disciples, are Jesus' best friend. Which leads me to wonder, what about Andrew? I mean, Andrew was called right with Peter. But he wasn't included in the best friends group. Did he do something wrong? Did he make Jesus mad? The answer is no. He didn't do something wrong. He didn't make Jesus mad. But not everybody is going to click with everybody else on the same level. And there's nothing wrong with that. I've heard it said this way. Be friendly to all and friends to few. Be friendly to all and friends to few. Make sure that you have those people in your life that you can be completely honest with. That know the good and know the bad. That know the parts of you that you try to hide from most people. But they're there. They've seen the ugly and they've seen the beauty. They see it all and they know you. They're the people that you don't need a filter with and you can count on them and you know that they're going to take it to their grave. You don't ever have to worry or wonder about their loyalty. And when you find those people that you can be totally yourself around, you can be wholly authentic with, those are the people that you need to have in your inner circle. But your inner circle doesn't need to be everyone. And with social media, everybody wants to put all of their drama out there for all the world to see. Just stop. You don't need to do that. Have a couple people in your life who know the real you, who know what you're experiencing, who know what you're going through. And be friendly to everybody that you encounter. But Jesus didn't treat all the disciples the same way. Three of them had more access to him than the other nine. And that's perfectly fine. Everybody needs that circle in their life. Everybody needs people in their lives, but not everybody can have the same level of access to you. It's not healthy, and frankly, it's not wise. And that's why you need to be incredibly wise about who you choose to be your best friends. You need to be incredibly wise about those people that you open up to and that you, you let see every aspect of you. You need those people in your life. 
but you need to be incredibly choosy and incredibly wise. And there are going to be some people that you just don't click with, and that's okay. Still be friendly to them, still be friends with them, but you don't have to be best friends with them. And that doesn't mean that there's something wrong or evil. We see that here with, with Jesus and his dealings with three of these four guys, with Peter, James, and John. Now, I know for a fact that these guys made the right choice. And how do I know that? Well, because Scripture goes on to tell us all the incredible things that they saw and they did. But let's, let's just take the spiritual equation out of it for just a second. How many 2,000-year-old fishing empires do you know of? Probably not many. But even if you're not a follower of Jesus, you've heard of Peter and at least John. Heard of Peter and John. Now, this isn't guaranteeing you notoriety if you follow Jesus. I mean, it happens sometimes. It happened in the case of Peter, that Peter would go on to lead the very first church. That Peter, in conjunction with the Holy Spirit, would go on to write two of the books in the New Testament, First and Second Peter. That John, in conjunction with the Holy Spirit, would go on to write five books in the New Testament. The Gospel of John, First, Second, and Third John. And the final book in the New Testament, Revelation. Andrew? Well, we don't hear much about Andrew. And we don't hear about Andrew again after Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, Jesus has died on the cross. He's risen again from the grave. He's ascended to heaven. The disciples meet together again in the upper room. And that's the last time that we hear about Andrew. James? Oh, we hear about James again. That's in Acts chapter 12. And in Acts chapter 12, verse 2, James is beheaded for his faith. He's martyred. He's killed. Because he followed Jesus. You know what else happens in Acts chapter 12? Peter's arrested for his faith. And in the same chapter, where James, one of Jesus' best friends, is beheaded for his faith. In the very same chapter, Acts chapter 12, Peter's imprisoned, and God supernaturally sends an angel that enables Peter to escape from jail. James is beheaded. Peter walks out of jail. So see ya. And the reality is this that God is good when He delivers Peter from jail. And God is good when He allows James to be beheaded. Did God love Peter more than James? Did God care more about Peter than he did James? Was God unfair in his dealings that in the same chapter one of his best friends is beheaded and another one of his best friends supernaturally is delivered from jail because God sends an angel and Peter walks out of prison? 
answer is no. God isn't unfair in his dealings. And God isn't good in one situation, but not the other. This is why I tell you all the time, you better come to terms with a theology of suffering, with a belief system of suffering and loss and pain and sickness before it happens to you, because it will come in your life. And if you are not prepared for it, when it comes, you will question the goodness of God. You will question whether or not God is fair. You will question where is the love of God. And here we could look at this and we could, we could ask, God, how can it be that one of your best friends you allow to die and the other best friend you allow to walk out of jail in the same chapter? Let me just say, this is the danger of comparison. The comparison leads to two destinations. One is pride. Because we compare where we are with somebody else, and we're like, well, glad I'm not there. We elevate ourselves at the expense of someone else. And the other side, the other danger of comparison is discontent. We compare ourselves to somebody else and we recognize, oh, I'm not there. Rather than find contentment in where we are and what our circumstances and situations are, we see that we don't have what they have. We're now discontent. It's not that Jesus loved Peter more than James. It's not that God was better to Peter than he was to James. It's simply this. The plan of God is unique to every single individual. God's plan for our life is as unique as we are. And the plan that God has for me is not the plan that God has for you. And the plan that God has for you is not the plan that God has for me. And that doesn't make my plan that God has for me better than your plan or your plan better than my plan. It just means that God has a unique plan for each and every one of us. And his plan for each of us is unlike his plan for anyone else. And the hope that we have, even in the midst of the times where we do not understand the plan that God has in store for our lives, the hope that we have is that the one who has called us to follow him has it all worked out. And even when sickness and suffering and death comes our way, and it will to all of us, that the plan of our Creator does not end. Because we have souls that were designed to live forever. 
And if we've let go of the net, if we've made the decision to follow him as he's called us, there is nothing that we have to fear. The question you have to wrestle with is have you followed him? Have you followed him in a way that you've said, Jesus, save me? And if you've done that, the next question you have to ask is, are you following him? Or are you hanging on to the net? Because you want to know where. And you want to know when. And you want to know how. God doesn't always offer us that. And I just want to encourage you, let go and follow him. Jesus, I pray that we would be people that follow you. When it makes sense, especially when it doesn't. That when we don't have it all figured out, but we still know what you're calling us to, we would obey anyway. Thank you for doing extraordinary things through ordinary people. Thank you for calling the rich and the poor. Men, women, children for being for everyone and desiring all to follow after you. God, I pray that this would be a place where people find community. They find friends, but beyond just friendship, they find those people that they can live life with. Being vulnerable, being honest. God, I pray that we would be people who let go of the nets. Help us, God. We ask in your son Jesus' name. Amen.